Just turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. This morning I'd ask that uh, um, as we begin our time for you to think along with me. If you uh, had a great idea and you were going to start a company, you had a big pile of money and you knew that this was going to be a great thing. And you could hire, let's say, 12 people. What kind of people would you hire? What kind of people would you gather to yourself to begin something that was going to be great? Maybe for others of you, uh, you can think in terms of maybe taking over the world. You like to play Risk, and uh, you realize it's a game of taking over the world. Uh, some of you don't understand that, and others of you love to play with people who don't understand that. Uh, taking over the world uh, with a new message, uh, something different. Who would you choose? Who would be those 12 that you would gather uh, to be part of this uh, disseminating of this new message that no one has heard? Or maybe for others of you, the and I don't know if they allow this anymore, but you grew up in a day where there were always picking teams. You were uh, at the backstop, everyone up against the backstop, and you picked two uh, ones who were going to pick teams, and you get first pick, and uh, you want who's best, and then some of you were the last people on the backstop. Um, hey, uh, you take so-and-so. No, no, we, we took them last time. You, you take them. No, it's not fair. If we have to take him, uh, you need to give us another player in return because we, some of you were those people as well. What would you do if you were choosing your team, if you were doing something significant? Most of us would say, I want those who are the best. I want those who are the most intelligent, the most athletic, or the most diligent, or disciplined, or toughest, or best looking. This morning as we look at uh, this idea of choosing a team, we're going to see the team that Jesus chose. As He began His kingdom work, and as He was going to entrust His kingdom work to twelve men, uh, we're going to look at those twelve men that He chose. And hopefully, as we look at this this morning, we'll think to ourselves as well of what does the Lord see in me or what uh, is my role or position on his team or why would he have me on his team and be encouraged at uh, the way the Lord does this choosing. You look back in uh, chapter 9 of the book of Matthew, you, uh, you remember that last week we talked about uh, that Jesus looked upon the crowds and that he looked differently upon the crowds. He wasn't annoyed. Uh, he wasn't bothered. He, he didn't look at how stupid they were. Uh, he rather just looked upon them with a compassionate heart. And he said these words that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And just just a moment to talk about that. I know that when you think about the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, we struggle with that concept that we are laborers, that we are just common field workers. And yet that 
is the most thrilling thing in the world for us to be, knowing that it's Jesus' harvest, that He is the Lord of the harvest. And I want to ask you the question, as as God graciously presents opportunities to you, most of the time when we see opportunities or things before us, we ask the question, do I want to do it or do I not want to do it? Do I want to be a part or do I I have time for that or do I not have time for that? Do I have finances for that or do I not? And I want to encourage you that that discussion should not be based on what I have left over. Not what I have, uh, what I can see with my own eyes, but rather in conversation with the Lord of the harvest Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? See, most of the time we look and we say, what's comfortable for us? What fits into our schedule? What uh, will go along with the life that I'm already living? Instead of asking the question, Lord of the harvest, what do you want me to be a part of? As we look, we're going to, if I could, I'd like to read to you the first Four verses of chapter 10 of the book of Matthew. If you'd stand in honor of God's word. This is what the Lord says. Uh, He inspired us uh, through the writing of Matthew. It says this, And he called to him his twelve disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. God, I ask your blessing on our time. Help us uh, to focus in on what you would have us learn from these men, from their lives, their strengths, and more importantly, their weaknesses. God, do your work in us, we pray through your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So chapter 10, verse 1, uh, tells us something very simple. That that Jesus, he just called to him his his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority. We looked and they were the audience, really, of this message about the harvest. And this call for them to, to pray to the Lord of harvest that he would send out workers. And as... They prayed and and he turns to them and we're going to see in this next chapter that he's going to send them out many times as God breaks our heart for the crowds. He takes the ones that he has already broken their heart. He encourages them in their heart. He empowers them and then he sends them out to the very field that we see in our heart has been broken for 
So Jesus sees the harvest. He says that it's plentiful. He knows that the workers are few. He communicates that. He shares with his disciples to call on the Lord of the harvest. And now he turns to them and he gives them authority. This word authority, we've seen this over and over again in the book of Matthew, that Jesus spoke with authority. He had authority. And now he is giving authority. That which Jesus was doing, he placed upon his twelve apostles, disciples, and then he is sending them out with authority. Authority for what? Uh, Authority to do the very things that he had done. It says that uh, to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. They would have already seen him do this. They would have known uh, that this was what Jesus was about. And now, not just with his message, but with his power to change Uh, He sends them out. And now he gives us, uh, Matthew records for us, the list of those he is going to make as his beginning part of his kingdom, his kingdom work. These are the charter members, if you will. These are the ones that he desires to start with. Some would think this to be an all-star team. These are the best he could find. These are the ones that we're going to set the pace and lay this amazing foundation for what he is going to do. Um, I want to let you in on this. This isn't really an all-star team. It's more like the Bad News Bears. It's a motley crew. It's not a group that maybe you or I would choose. But these are the ones that Jesus chose uh, to do his kingdom work. We start first with Simon, uh, who is called Peter. And when you look at uh, Peter's life, you realize that he, uh, it's recorded more than anyone, that he is with Jesus. You might want to look at it as he is Jesus' right-hand man. He's the one that is most trusted. He's the one that's in most conversation. He is the one by his side most often. He is the one that... Jesus, if you were thinking in terms of a company, that Jesus was going to leave the company to, that he was going to somehow give his his position to. Well, who was Peter? He was a rough fisherman. He's a blue-collar guy. He worked uh, in a difficult uh, and dangerous work of, of fishing. And not necessarily a glamorous one either. If you've uh, grabbed... A fish before you know that it's not something you necessarily would do on purpose unless you're a child uh, some of you hate fish just hate it can i get an amen thank you i knew you were there brandon he's got issues though some of them um fishing you know it is a blue collar work and we're going to see others of the disciples that were with him and and you look at this and you say jesus couldn't you have gotten a, a smarter group than fishermen couldn't you have got a more eloquent refined group educated group fishermen it, it doesn't seem like these are the group that you want to draw from if you can picture this as a Uh, an interview for a job that they would roll in with the smell of fish and and it'd say oh this is what i do though what do you know how to do i know how to fish 
I know how to grab these fish and bring them in. And this is how I've provided for my family. And so as the generations before me, this is what they do. Peter was a rough fisherman. You think through uh, who Peter was and just his reckless life that he lived. This is not prior to following after Jesus. It's as he followed Jesus. He was reckless with his tongue. He was reckless with his actions. I I think to the the time where Jesus is arrested in John 18, and it says that he jumped up, he grabbed his sword, and, and he sliced off the ear of a guard. And Jesus rebukes him. Why? Because he did the wrong thing. He thought wrongly about the situation. He thought that Jesus somehow needed to be protected by a sword and by him. If Peter would have thought, he would have seen all that Jesus had done, knowing that Jesus was working out his plan all the time. He he would have remembered the miracles that he had done and said, Jesus has got this. But instead, he thought Peter needed to get this. Peter needed to take charge. Peter needed to use the sword. Peter needed to take up arms on the behalf of Jesus. He would have known that the angels could have come to his rescue at any moment. But instead, he was misguided. He did the wrong thing. Maybe you can relate. I also think about Jesus and his interaction with Peter Um, as they met and Jesus talked about their denial that was to come. And what did Jesus say? He said, Lord, I'll I'll never deny. Though all others might, I will not. I will not be the one. And what happened? Folded like a house of cards. He fell apart. And three, not just one time, but three times. He he said, you know, I, I reject that Jesus and even put on a show for them that they might see that he was no part of Jesus. Peter was the great flip-flopper of all time. He was the one who was quick to raise his hand, but also quick to re, uh, retract it and to walk away. And this is the best that Jesus could find. This is this right-hand man. This is the one that was closest to Jesus, Peter. You think, Jesus, it doesn't seem like you're making a very good choice in Peter. And maybe to our eyes, that's true. We move from Peter uh, in in verse 2, in the middle of verse 2. It says, And his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. These Next three, uh, some have called this the inner circle of Jesus. Peter plus these three. And these were the ones that are mentioned most of the time as as Jesus is doing things, that these would be the ones in the next row, if you will. That the five of them being together in many things, they had interactions more than others. We have recorded history of what they had done. As you look at Andrew, uh, Andrew is Peter's brother. He, too, being a fisherman. We find out that he, at times, has weak faith. 
in reflection on the uh, feeding of the 5,000, Andrew is mentioned. It's mentioned what he says. And what does he say? Uh, Jesus says, how am I going to feed all these people? And Andrew says this. He says, there's a boy or a lad who has a few loaves and some fish. And if that's all he would have said, it would have been a great answer. How are we going to feed all these people? He could have said, hey, there's this boy with this small lunch. But what does Andrew say? He says, but how far will they go among so many? You know, this this boy's got his lunch, but how how far will this lunch go among so many? Andrew could have said anything. He could have said anything at all, uh, except something like that. And it would have been better. He had seen the miracles of Christ. He had walked with him. He had experienced who Jesus was. And he says, we're not going to be able to do it. I guess we're in trouble here because we only have this small lunch. Oh, no, what am I going to do? This is Andrew, one of the inner circle. One of the people that Jesus was entrusting his message to in his kingdom work. You go to uh, James and his brother John. Uh, they're referred to as the sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. Isn't that great? If I ever start a band, I'm going to call it the sons of thunder. Not a great band name. Uh, I don't know any instruments, but yeah, for a band, sometimes you don't need it all that much. These brothers uh, marked foolishly with pride. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, sometimes when you get sons of thunder, that's a great name, right? It come in and you're like, I'm a bull in a china shop and I like it that way. I like that when I come in, I'm loud and I make things happen. And me and my brother, that's what we do. That's the way we roll. That's, that's what happens when we show up. Men of action. Sons of thunder. Well, they're called the sons of thunder, but you could look over to Matthew chapter 20. And one of the most embarrassing things of the whole scripture is recorded there. You remember what it was? Their mom comes to speak with Jesus regarding them. I want to tell you, it's bad when you're a grown man and your mom comes to speak for you. I say that for the grown men here. But I also say it for the moms here, okay? Uh, it's bad. It's bad. Your mother comes, uh, most likely in earshot uh, behind the row, of my, and he says, my two sons here, can they sit on the right and on the left? And you say, well, maybe it was the mom's problem, and maybe it was the mom's problem. But I say they're foolishly prideful because Jesus' response to them is that you can't Drink of the cup. and you, you cannot do what I'm going to do. And what do they quickly say? Oh, yes, we can. We can do it. We're, we're good. We, we could be as great as you. We, we could be right behind you. We're, we're on the same page. The sons of thunder. The brothers. Foolishly prideful. Maybe we can relate this morning. 
as we consider our position, we, we like to talk about how we can get things done. And yet, that's just a covering for our own ambition and pride. It says of John in Mark chapter 9, just to add to this, Mark chapter 9, you get this interaction with him and Jesus. And this reveals part of his heart. He says, Teacher, said John, uh, this is Mark chapter 9, verse 38. We saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we told them to stop. Because he was not one of us. John, uh, knowing that he's man of action and that he's part of the team, he saw someone driving out demons in the name of Jesus, blessing these people that were undoubtedly in bondage. And he says, but don't worry, Jesus. We told him to stop because they weren't part of us, part of the 12, part of our group here. John, once again, misguided. His zeal getting in front of uh, the very facts that, that Jesus' name was being lifted up. These are the ones of the inner circle? Jesus, couldn't you find some better ones? Was it a tight job market? Yeah, and, and there weren't many applicants? What, why did you choose these ones? As we go on in our list, we see uh, Philip and Bartholomew. Bartholomew being referred to by Nathaniel at at other points. uh, Most likely a a separate name, uh, another name that he was called by. And Philip, uh, we find in in John 1 that uh, Jesus found him in Galilee and called to him with one of his favorite ways to call people. He says, follow me. And Philip did. He followed him. And when we hear that, that idea of follow me, you think of all the questions that would arise in your heart. Where are we going? What are we doing? How, how much should I pack? What, what are we going to be doing? What's the weather going to be like when I get there? And Jesus just calls him, says, follow me. Follow after me. Call, I'll show you where we're going to go. I'll, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We'll, we'll do it, but you just follow me. And this is a, a calling that Jesus gives to us. He doesn't give us details other than himself. Well, uh, we had talked about this story prior with Andrew, but in John chapter 6, at the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus asked him, how are we going to feed all these people? Philip had an answer as well. Philip's answer was this. It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each to have one bite. That's Philip's answer. Uh, Philip was an accountant. I just made that up. I don't know that he was. Uh, Philip was good at math. He was a mathlete. He was really good with Excel spreadsheets, right? He had it all figured out. 
And he had all the columns put together. He had that formula thing. And he said, there's an estimated amount, about this many people. And it costs about this much. I saw at McDonald's last week for one meal, it costs this much. He punched the numbers in and he says, half a year's wages. But that's just for a bite. Can't be done. Can't be done. Uh, It also says that Jesus, knowing what he was going to do, asked the question. It was an opportunity of faith. But instead of faith, instead of faith, what did what did Philip do? He got out his calculator. He looked at their resources. I want to tell you, be very, very careful. When you decide the will of God based on what the numbers say. Based on what money says. Based on what your account holds. Philip was a man of uh, computation. He had the math right. And yet what he could have said, he could have said anything. He could have said, Jesus, there's a rock right over there. Make it a huge cheeseburger and we'll share it. Uh, Jesus, you know, I, I read in the Old Testament that, that food came from the sky at times. Let's do that one. Or maybe just make the grass this edible, whatever. They, they could have been creative. They could have said anything, anything at all. But Philip was a man who lacked faith at times. He fumbled. When he had the opportunity to walk by faith, he chose to make computations and then there's bartholomew or or nathaniel in john chapter one what does it say of him he's famous as well he's famous and you you may have forgotten who said this but he hearing of jesus hearing of who jesus was um hears that he's from nazareth and then you know what he says Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Immediately in his mind, he 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 goes to prejudging and his uh, past things. He says, "Oh, oh, he's from Nazareth. No way. I don't believe it. I don't buy it." Some of you do this. Hey, uh, oh, you're new here. Where are you from? Bakersfield. And you go, Bakersfield, huh? Can you imagine? So, so Jesus and and Jesus wasn't interviewing. There, was, this wasn't an interview. But you can imagine if this would be an interview. Jesus is starting his kingdom, his kingdom work. He's gathering the charter members. He's gathering the ones that are going to set this whole course together of what Jesus is doing. And Bartholomew comes in, and um, they're, they're doing the chat before time hey you know where are you from what's going on oh, i'm from here and and he says oh, where are you from he says i'm from nazareth and he chuckles <laughs> nazareth no thanks i don't want to work here this great business plan that you have this great thing to take over the world <laughs> that's a joke can anything good come out of nazareth you can imagine if that were you <laughs> For Jesus to say, this guy doesn't even know me. And he's already saying that he understands my hometown. This is Bartholomew. 
You go, couldn't he have found anybody better? We have others um, listed here, and I'll start moving through these fairly quickly. We go from Philip and Bartholomew to uh, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. You remember Thomas? What's he famous for? Doubting. That I'm not going to be scammed. I'm going to be the, the eternal skeptic and Jesus is before me and I won't believe. I won't be taken advantage of. I won't, I won't be tricked. No one's going to get the better of me. Jesus standing there, the crucified, risen Savior. And that's the best Thomas can come up with. And then you look at Matthew, the greedy tax collector. You remember what, what his calling was like? It was such where he had been taking advantage of through the tax collecting system, his own people, and he was making wealth and getting his greed drove him to amass this great position and wealth. And and then uh, it wasn't just that he was that, but that's who he ran with as well. So much so that the religious leaders, when they gathered at Matthew's house with the people that he knew, what did they say? Oh, all those tax gatherers and sinners. They're just a huge pile of them. And Jesus is with them. And you say, Jesus, couldn't you have gotten someone with a little, you know, vetted them, I believe is the right word. You know, couldn't you have like looked into their past and kind of checked them out? Matthew's got a checkered past. It's not going to work very well for your company, for your business, for you taking over the world. Why, why couldn't you have found someone better? And then you have the last ones. And I want to tell you, there's not too much known of James, Thaddeus, and Simon. And I want to tell you this. As a whole, the whole 12, there's not that much known about them. You have the writings of Peter, right? You have some... But in the Gospels, it doesn't tell us much about the 12. And you say, well, why? And I think I know why. What are the Gospels about? They're about Jesus. It's insignificant. It, it, it's, it's just a, a side note, if you will, who was with him. But that which is to be exalted and that which is the message, it's Jesus. His disciples are not that which is important. I think often we look to the scriptures and we're looking to make heroes out of servants. We're, we're looking to make heroes out of common laborers. The greatness is not in the laborer, the servant, but rather in the one they're serving. Well, these last three, uh, James, Thaddeus, and Simon, I'll just tell you about Simon. It says that he was a zealot. A zealot was a, a religious a religious and political group that were radicals. And their main goal was the overthrow of Rome. They were... Uh, they were always plotting and planning an uprising. And you think about this and you go, and Jesus added him to the team? He was looking to make headlines. He was looking to be a part of the group that was taking to the streets, burning down places, uh, carrying torches, once carrying signs and yelling and ranting in the streets. And this is who he chose? This is who he chose. And then lastly, and this is probably most difficult to understand, 
Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The one who's known as the greatest sellout. The one with the wrong motives that led him to a wrong life. These were the ones that he chose. If you're taking notes and you're keeping score, there's 12 of them. And maybe you could add a 13. Some of you are thinking of Paul. That comes later. But the 13, the number 13 is you. Is you. If Jesus were choosing a team, would he pick you? If he's willing to have this new message and he wants to disseminate it throughout the world, would he choose you? For some of us, we immediately go, no, he wouldn't. I got all kinds of problems. I got all kinds of weaknesses. I'm not fit for the job. Some I'm not fit because of my own just personality weaknesses and others because of the things I've done. And I want to tell you, that's why Jesus came with his gospel. That's why Jesus gave his life. I was reminded as I was thinking about this, uh, it was about four or five and I went and visited my grandparents. Our family went back to Detroit, Michigan the beautiful city of Detroit, Michigan. Some refer to it as Detroit. Um, but we went back there and my, uh, my, my dad was working on my grandparents' house. He was replacing a door and there was this piece of wood that was left over after he had cut. And as a young boy, I, I was messing around uh, going through my grandfather's tools and I found this knife because boys like knives and the German in me thought I had to carve something. And so I have this knife and I have this piece of wood and the knife's this rusty old dull thing. And I, so I'm doing a power move on it. And what do I do? I slice my finger. And when boys do something dumb, they like being alone. They like being alone because they immediately kind of go, uh, how can I patch this one up? And it I grabbed it and I said, yeah, I think I can handle this. And then the, dr- the the blood began to drip through my fingers. And I go, I don't think I'm going to be able to fix this. And so I walked into my grandparents' uh, kitchen and my, my parents were there and my grandmother. And I said, I, I cut myself, which was already obvious. And, and and they came and they they grabbed it and rags and then eventually a few stitches and why did I come though why did I come why didn't I just stay out in the garage and bleed to death it's real simple I knew I was in over my head I knew I'd made a mess of me and I want to tell you that's the gospel that we don't come saying, Jesus, put me on the team. I've got it going on. I'm all good. I'm a whole person. But I've made a mess of things. Please fix me. That's the gospel. That's our weaknesses. I want to tell you this, though. Um, Many of us here this morning, it's not our weaknesses that exclude us from being used. It's our strengths. It's our strengths. And you say, well, what do you mean? 
And I'll say it to you this way. Your strengths could be your greatest weaknesses in God using you. And you say, well, how can that be? It's simple. You think you're good enough to be on the team. You think, you know, I have the right education. I have the right experience. I'm smart. I've got the right personality. I've got the right good looks. I'm, I'm athletic enough. I'm young enough. I'm this. I'm that. I'm the other. God definitely wants me on his team. And I want to tell you, I want to point you to the 12. I want you to, to look at them. I want you to stare at them and say, is God looking for the best? No, he's not. He's choosing messed up people to be part of his team to display his glory. in. Last thing I want to share with you this morning is this. So Jesus has chosen his 12. We know who they are. What, what if we knew each one? And we knew them personally. And we knew their weaknesses. And, and, and we see Jesus and we want to pull him aside and say, Jesus, I've got reasons for each one of these people right here, these men right here. Uh, don't allow them on the team. I, I know stuff that you don't know. What's your plan B if this fails? You know what Jesus would say? I have no plan B. I have no plan B. These are the ones I'm counting on. These are the ones I'm counting on. I know with my help, they will be enough. There's plan A and there's no plan B. And I'm counting on them to be my workers. This morning, I want you to know that we are not his apostles we are not like those first 12, but we are connected by the work of God. And we are now part of his church, and we're just like that. And he's counting on us. This is his only, this is his only idea to share his message with the world. It's us. I'm thrilled that he would be willing to take us on his team. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Lord, I ask that you would cause us to dwell on this idea that you have chose weak and imperfect people to do your work. God, I ask also that you would cause us to consider and see clearly who we are and that you would Mark us and thrill us that we could be a part of what you're doing here on this earth and that we would see that as our primary work here in the days that you've given us. God, thank you for this morning. Glorify yourself in your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.